chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the time of Herod, this is Herod Agrippa, like grandson of Herod the Great. He stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, different James than the lesser of the one down below you'll see in a moment. So he kills James, the brother of John, with a sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews. So politically, it seemed advantageous. Like people thought, okay, he's on our side. He proceeded further then to take Peter. Then were the days of the unleavened bread. So now the Passover. When he had apprehended him, instead of killing him on that, so in deference to this uh, celebration, delivering him to the four quatorians uh, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And of course, that's when he would lop off his head. Peter, therefore, is kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So on his behalf, the church is praying. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Pretty secure. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and shined a light in his eyes. Have you ever tried to wake up a, a teenager for school? You ever? So start by shining a light in his eyes. Well, that didn't work. So he smotes Peter on the side, finally yells at him, get up, arise quickly, and his chains fell off of his hands. So, you know, it's like ripping the covers down off the bed. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not, you know, where, where he was going, but thought that he had a vision. So I'm not even sure this is real life. So I'm having a dream. And they were past the first, then the second, and they came to the iron gate that leadeth out into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Well, this was a terrible time in the days of the early church. Christians were a target of mockery, persecution, obviously even of death. It was the timeline of traditional Passover. Christians replaced it with the celebration, as you see it here, of Easter. World religions despised the church. World leaders hated Christians in particular. It was upsetting their political uh, rest, if you will. And so the first thing we read is of Agrippa's persecution. Herod Agrippa. This is the grandson of the great Herod who first brought the Jews under Roman control. Herod Agrippa had presided over the trial of Jesus, beheaded John the Baptist, and in pure political fashion, he realized, as it says there in verse 3, that his actions pleased the Jews. So he thought, well, if killing one is good, killing two is going to be better. So let's go find Peter. And that's how we have Peter now taken into custody. Now Agrippa normally never took any prisoners. So it wasn't his custom to let's hold him over for a later time, for a trial, let's say, and then we'll lop off his head. It was his fashion to arrest them, take them, kill them, done with them. But in deference to the Jews, because this is a holiday, 
we'll not do it now, we'll hold him over, and that's when we find Peter asleep in prison. Knowing that Herod, verse 6, would have otherwise killed him the same night, we find Peter waiting peacefully in prison between two soldiers bound with chains. Following Agrippa's lead, the magistrates of the town would later take Paul and Silas, and you remember that story, there's no young person involved there, so we're not going to that story. But you remember Paul and Silas. They too were taken into prison. And when they were in chains, what do we find them doing? Singing songs and praying, right? And praying. So separate occasions, but the common circumstance between the two, I don't know if Peter couldn't sing, but I do know that the thing we know that are true between the two of them is that they both were praying. The one thing that is consistent in each of the persecutions, we find them praying. And also we find that the churches were praying on their behalf as well. Here it mentions in verse 5. My friends, when prayers are offered, angels are dispatched where you and I cannot go. If you get nothing else out of the message this morning, that is the one thing you need to keep with you. You're praying for a son. You're praying for a daughter. You're praying for a co-worker. You're praying for a circumstance that right now feels like it's out of your control. When prayers are offered, angels are dispatched where you cannot go, even into this prison. And so we see the angelic prompting, verse 7, like trying to wake up that teenager, you know, shaking and wake, yelling at him, finally gets his attention. The angel leads Peter through what he thinks is a dream until verse 10, when they were past the first, the second, it came to the iron gate, leads out into the city, and he passes on from there, and the angel departs. The angel's call to Peter led him onto this iron gate where deliverance is provided. Remember this, as I said, angels go and minister where no one else, nothing else can. And so we follow Peter out of the gate, down the street, away from the prison. We come to this, uh, this house. I call it Peter's house call, verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, so he's, you know, his mind's clear now, he's fully awake, got sleep out of his eyes, he realizes it's not a dream, he's standing on the street. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of Jew- that is, that he would be put to death. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel, young lady, came to hearken. Her name is Rhoda. This is our young person that brings us to the story this morning. And when she knew Peter's voice, by the way, I, I don't want to get hung up on that. But if I was talking to a group of young people, I, I probably would spend a little more time of, of just saying, do you, if God were to speak to you, would you recognize him? Maybe even for us adults. If God were to whisper a still small voice over your shoulder, would you recognize if he were to speak? She recognizes Peter's voice. She's heard it before. She knows it's him, but she doesn't open the gate for gladness. She's so excited, and she runs instead and tells 
tells the, those in the house that Peter is at the gate, and they said unto her, that, oh, sweetheart, I know, you, I know what you think you heard, right? So this very, uh, you know, kind of speaking to her, I'm sure. Thou art mad, that is, you don't get it. But she constantly affirmed that it had to be, it was so. Then said they, well, it must be then, an angel. But Peter continued, so he's still out at the gate, banging on the gate, trying to get to attention. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with hand, so, you know, says to hold their peace. And he declares unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, show these things unto James. This is James, uh, the lesser brother of Jesus, and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. We meet today's young person of the Bible. Why would Peter call on this house? Why would Peter stand at this gate? What did Peter know was going on? What did Peter know was the tradition of this church, this house church? What did Peter know was the tradition? What did he know they would be doing right now on, the, on his behalf? Pray, right? He knew that this was a house of prayer. And by the way, isn't that the one thing that this place is supposed to be called? Of all other things, Stony Bank can be noted for, or any church should be noted for, the one thing it should be noted for is that it is a house of prayer. Prayer was unceasing in this place. And so he went to the place, verse 12, where he knew that many had been gathering to pray. You look back up at verse 5 and you'll notice that prayer was made for Peter without ceasing. You know in 1 Thessalonians 5 that it tells us we're supposed to pray without ceasing. In Luke 18 it says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. We cannot walk around with folded hands and closing our eyes and kneeling at every street corner and mumbling under our breath. People would think we're you know, crazy. We're foolish so we can't you know we don't live in a monastery so we got to keep our eyes open and you know get on with life a little bit but prayer ought to be the thing that is on the tip of our tongue at all times when we have the opportunity some circumstance some need something you're facing the first thing not a curse word right the first thing ought to be a prayer something we would say in response to this to our lord prayer must be the first and foremost thing we as believers do to engage ourselves in the work of the Lord. Now, some people come to church, they give their money, but as a substitute for their time. I don't have time, but, you know, I'm working real hard, i got some extra money, so I give. We'll take it. But, but you understand, sometimes people are giving it as a substitute. Some give their Sunday as a substitute for their week. They're very busy all week. We don't have time, but, you know, I'll, I'll come on Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll give some thought to what the preacher has to say on Sunday. But again, as a substitute for the rest of their life. Some give their service as a substitute. But when prayer is offered, when you enter into prayer, nothing is off limit to God. Genuine, sincere prayer cannot be offered without first giving your heart to God. Well, they were praying for Peter's safety and deliverance, but notice Peter, Peter himself, he's unexpected. So they're praying for deliverance, but it couldn't be Peter. 
They're praying that people will get out of jail, but, oh, you don't understand. Have you ever gotten to the place in your prayer that you limited God? Now, what do I mean by that? We all know as believers that God can heal, right? Let's take that as an example. You believe God can heal? And all God's people said, amen. But Lord, and we go on with the inevitable that we know is going to happen. It's not looking good. So we start praying for comfort and peace. I'm not saying don't do that. But it may be that we're limiting what God can do by our inability to accept the things that we can't control. We all believe God can provide for our need. And then we hold out by asking God to do more practical things like, you know, provide the job and, and just bless them real good, Lord, right? <laughs> we do that sort of thing. We tend to keep our faith in check by praying for the things that we can readily see, that we can handle, that we might even be able to do something about. We just need a little nudge from God rather than praying about the things that we cannot control beyond our reach, and there's no way I see any other way for it to happen, but I'm asking God to do something. I'm sure they prayed for Peter's release, but having just witnessed the death of James, don't you think they were probably saying, but Lord, because they're imagining him seated right there between the guards. They're imagining what it must be like on the next day to wake up knowing that your head's going to be chopped off. Lord, would you just comfort his heart? Lord, would you give him strength to stand up under this circumstance? Lord, would you give him the words to speak if they give him an opportunity? And so we start saying things like, nothing wrong with that. But we forget the idea that God could ever really fully deliver him from the prison. We don't want to go there because we'll just be disappointed if we pray like that. So when Rhoda comes in to tell them, and by the way, we also pray that way because why did, why did James, the son of Zebedee, why did he get his head lopped off and Peter gets delivered? That doesn't seem right. And so that's why we're, we don't, how do we pray in this? One guy survives, the next guy dies. It makes it confusing, but we don't give up on what God can do in your prayers. So when Rhoda comes, tells them of his release, I'm sure they start praying for her too, Lord, oh, sweetheart, you don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I think we spend far too much time praying about things God has already answered, standing there at the door. Or the means that we can already grab hold of. Yes, we ought to lay claim to the promises of God. That's true. But there's times we've got to get up off our knees and get busy in the thing that God has provided for us. He's right there. It's at the door. It's, it's waiting for us. All we've got to do is take it. It took some convincing to get Peter's attention to walk out of the prison. He, wasn't, he didn't even know that this was an answer to prayer. He was just going to sit there between the guards because he had resigned himself to it. It took some convincing to get the others to follow Rhoda to the door. Upon seeing Peter, they were astonished, and interestingly, Peter quiets their enthusiasm because the problems that lay ahead of Peter are still very uncertain. Why is it that we're always so amazed when God does what only God can do? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18, no. Is any one thing harder for God than another? No, but the problems that Peter faced, even of what he has come through, 
The problems he faces are still before him and still very unsure. Peter must continue to go in the direction that God has sent him, not knowing what it might mean, but staying there, staying in this church, just down the street from the prison where the guards were sure to come and look for him, what do you think would have happened? Where would Peter have ended up? Right back in prison. Right back where he started. I mean, use a little common sense when you're praying. Right? You're praying for God to meet your needs? <laughs> Some young person, I don't know. Get a job. I hear there's lots of jobs out there, right? Yes, yeah, so don't sit at home doing nothing, praying for God to meet your needs. Get busy doing the things that you can. So use some common sense. Don't be foolish about it. How often does God answer a prayer and we end up right back where we started, imprisoned in the very thing that we were released from? Just Friday, I was talking to a fellow who was at a funeral. And I was talking to a fellow, and he, knowing I'm a preacher, puts it in the context of religion, of course. How God had, yeah, God brought me through lung cancer as he's smoking on his next cigarette. I don't condemn him for it, but don't tell me God's going to deliver you a second time from this. Maybe, but let's use a little common sense, right? And you're praying for deliverance and God delivers you. And the point of this is, Peter says, no, I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep going. When God delivers you from bondage of something, it is foolishness to think that he'll just keep on doing it while you stay right where you are. I cannot tell you what's ahead for you in your life, but I can tell you that if you stay right where you are and you don't do anything about it, don't expect that anything will ever change. You know the definition of insanity, right? You just keep doing the same things over and over and over again. And you keep saying the same prayers over and over and over again. And nothing ever changes. And you hope that next time, the next prayer might change something. Move forward. Get on with it. If Peter would have just stayed there rejoicing with the church, he would have doubtless ended up right back in prison the next day because the enemy would no doubt have come looking to find him. They would have known where to come. When God delivers us or provides a special need, why do we continue doing the same thing that put us there in the first place, hoping that the outcome will be different the next time? So it can be a habit of our life. It can be a circumstance we're facing. It can be a relationship that we're in. Sometimes when things seem uncertain, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We get paralyzed. There's a little principle of human nature. We'd rather deal with the problems we know than the things we don't know. People would rather deal with the problems they know. And again, and again, and again, rather than move forward into the circumstance of the unknown. I don't know. But God's there. Sometimes when things seem uncertain, we become paralyzed in fear and we miss out on the open door of God's opportunity. To put it in the vernacular, Proverbs 26, it would be like the foolishness of a dog returning to its vomit. Well, that's pretty gross. But that's what we do in life. We just go back to the same stuff over and over. 
There are certainly times when God gives grace to endure, but there are also many more times that God makes the way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For the serious student of God's will, understand this clear text message. An open door is not a room that you walk into and sit down. An open door is an opportunity for you to pursue in the will of God. So this open door of the church, of the, of the prison, the open door of the church, it wasn't a place he was going to go in. Yeah, I've arrived. But the open door that God has led him through, an opportunity forward. When you knock at a gate, I don't know what gate you're standing at this morning, right? Some circumstance of your life. God, 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 can you help, can you help, can you help? Just be sure that it is where God has led you. Sometimes we're knocking on a door that we got no business. You know the old, the old phrase, sometimes we climb the ladder of success only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall, right? Sometimes we're knocking on the wrong door. God didn't want us to, why are we spinning our wheels here? Let's move on to where God has, lead, has led us. Well, the fence gate where Paul, or Peter, excuse me, was knocking represents the fact that your dedication of life is personal. Your opportunity, your gate, the thing you're facing right now, it's going to be different in your life than mine. But all of us have needs. Each of us must follow the path God has established for us. And on the same weekend that Peter was delivered, James is martyred. And as Peter notes with the death of James, another is ready to stand in the gap and pick up the work of God. It says down in verse 24, in spite of the persecution, the word of God grew and multiplied. And we'll come to that. You will never be able to answer all the uncertainties about the future, but you must always be able to answer whether or not you have walked through the door that has been opened by the Lord, the circumstance, or is it something of your own making? And then I'll give you God's final call, verse 18 and following. Herod was a typical political leader. When things went his way, he took all the credit. When things didn't go his way, he looked around for somebody to blame, and such is the fate of the soldiers in verse 18. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, what? Where is he? You don't know? He examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death and he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there he abode. First, verse 18, the soldiers blamed each other. After all, it had to be an inside job, right? There's no sign of a break-in. One of us, who is it? We'll, we'll get one of you, because if we can get one of you, it'll mean some of us will survive. Then the soldiers set out to find someone else to blame, to go down the street. And I wonder what Rhoda must have been thinking as she hears the clamor from the soldiers coming her way. The soldiers, after all, were fighting for their own life, but with zero tolerance, Herod Agrippa has the soldiers swiftly killed, and he moves on to the next town against the Christians. And he takes the credit. Look at verse 20. Remember, so this town has heard what has just happened. So what's going to be their reaction? And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, so they got friends in high places, 
desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration, a great speech, unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God, not just a man. For fear that Herod would take his vengeance out upon the rest of the towns, they make peace with him. They were fully dependent upon the government for their peace. This was a socialist society. They are fully dependent upon the government for their supply. And they deified their ruler and accepted whatever he said without question because they don't want to disturb the peace and with unrivaled pride Herod takes the stage between the Roman columns of Caesar's city he delivers his political speech but Herod's pride didn't only get their attention Herod's pride got God's attention I read the verse to you earlier Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. I will not allow my praise to be shared with graven images. So God takes vengeance, verse 23, look at it. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Yikes. But the word of God grew and multiplied. The sin of pride was the first affront against God when Satan said, I'll be like the Most High. He thought he would just rise in his authority and God cast him out of heaven. Isaiah 14. It was the sin of Adam who believed the devil's lie, thought he could get away with it. And we see it from the history of nations. And don't think it won't be any different for us if we fail to keep our independence from the government around us. And I'm speaking as a church. Simply as a church. We cannot be dependent upon government to guard our message That is fully our responsibility. It is pride that takes each of us into sin, justifying our actions as if to suggest that, oh, it'll be different in our case. We've learned our lessons from others. It'll be different now. We continue in our stubbornness, thinking it won't affect us. There can be no denying the effect of sin. All have sinned. There can be no denial that the effects of sin is always death. And for any who think they've gotten away with sin, remember that God cannot and will not always strive with man. There's always a day of reckoning. And so there will come a time from the greatest of us to the least that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I call this the pearly gate. 
reminds each of us that death is the punishment for sin. None of us will escape. The more sin we find in our world today, the more untimely deaths will come. Some things God simply cannot tolerate. And regardless of our own goodness, whether it's our nation or our church or just our own life, we think, well, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty good. We will surely die because we're all sinners. The gift of God, of course, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the single message, the thread, that is woven through all the text of God's Word. If you're facing an iron gate like Peter in prison, something you think you just is fully out of your control and you've given up, and you've resigned yourself to the fact that, well, I guess this is just the way it's always going to be. Remember, angels can go where no one else can. And they can do what you cannot do. And they can reach who you cannot reach. And they can change what you cannot change. If you're standing at the fence gate, knocking on a gate outside someone's house or some decision that you have to make, remember, prayer does what nothing else can. And when you come to stand before the pearly gates, what will your answer be? Be.